0: but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening, and if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Well, Dixon already alluded to last night's disappointment, Um, but... You know, just a few months ago, we were talking about just how awful the Packers were. If you remember, uh, there was like a month there where every quarterback had a career day against the Packers, and it was like the highlight of their career, that, and uh, Tommy DeVito, like, anyways, it was, it was bad. It was really bad, right? But, but somehow they turned the ship around, and uh, they got really good, and I think kind of the, the highlight of the year was the game last week against the Dallas Cowboys. You probably know, Cowboys had 16 uh, game winning streak at home. They were favored by a lot, best offense in the league, great defense. And we went in and just destroyed them. And it was fantastic. It was great. And, and I remember waking up the next day. It was like, you know, the, the snow was whiter and the sky was bluer and just everything was, was happy in Green Bay. Went to Panera and talked to the lady there who I'm friends with. I'm like, how about them Packers? And she just lit up and she's like, oh, it's amazing. Did you see this? I actually had to go to the Dump. And so I, I took something there, and I saw a lady, and I was, she was like, "How about the Packers?" And she just talked on and on and on, came to church. How about them Packers with a girl's junior high basketball game? How about the pa- And people were just so excited to talk about the big win from the Packers? We love talking about good news. We were actually made to celebrate good news. Um, but you know what the greatest news of all is to share. It's to share that news that is a surprise, right? Like, like you are the one keeper of that good news and you're taking it to someone who has no idea about it, right? So like, like, you know, if you go home and you're like, I got a new job or I got a raise or, or you know, We're having a baby, right? Like it's so, you just have this great treasure inside of you and you get to hold on to it and you get to be the one that shares it with someone and they get to respond with great joy and celebration. Uh, Just yesterday, I was at my son Cooper's basketball game and and it was an amazing ending to the game. They won on a buzzer beer. They're down by one, guy hit a two-point shot as the buzzer went off, went in, everyone's going crazy. I pick up my phone, I text my wife. I say, hey, hey, they won, they won on a buzzer beater. It was amazing, right? And so we're driving home and my son Cooper says, hey dad, could you do me a favor and not tell mom how we won the game? And I said, well, I'm sorry, I I already did. I said, why don't you want me to tell her? He's like, because I wanna tell her the good news, right? Like, Like we love to have that treasured good news and to be the first one the first one to share it with someone. It's so, so exciting, so fun. Just, just a few years ago, someone from outside the church gave a donation to help those in need. And so I got to go and tell people, hey, your medical bills that you've been struggling with for years, they're, they're paid off. That, that vacation that your family hasn't been able to afford it, here's money, you get to go do that. Like, it's so wonderful to be able to bring the good news to someone who, who doesn't know about it yet, Right. And as Christians, you you probably know where I'm going with this. As Christians, we have the goodest good news there is. Like, we have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has entrusted it to us. And we get to go and bring it to those who don't know it. Now, you may be here and you may be thinking, man, everybody knows about the good news of Jesus. But I will tell you, many people do not in Green Bay. Even many people who go to church do not know the good news of Jesus. And you get to have the privilege of maybe being the first one to come and say, hey, I got to tell you this really, really good news this good news about Jesus, about how we can be saved, about how we can be reconciled to God, about how we can have heaven forever. It's, it's such good news, right? And, and there are times in my life where I just want to shout it from the rooftops. I want to walk down the street, grab someone by the ears and be like, do you know about Jesus, right? But there are many times where I am just completely complacent. I just honestly could care less. And maybe you, maybe you understand that. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you have felt that complacency, and, and if you're here and, and, and you, you, you know that, you, you identify that in yourself, we have an awesome passage today, an awesome passage written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who reminds us of how good the good news is, and even how we are to share that good news with others that they might rejoice in it. And so if you would, please open your Bibles in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you will need a Bible. There should be Bibles in the seats in front of you or underneath you. Go ahead and grab one of those Bibles, and we will be on page nine eighty-six of the Red Bible. There's also some in the back if you need it. Um, but but we're we're continuing First Thessalonians chapter two, and uh, and if you remember, um, you know Paul is writing about a year after visiting Thessalonica. Uh, he went there. He preached the gospel. Many came to faith in Christ. The church was planted. He's driven away, he's in Corinth, he's writing back to them uh, to comfort them and encourage them, um, but also to remind them about how the good news of the gospel came to them and encourage them to continue in the faith. Now, now, if you haven't noticed yet, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is a little bit of an insider uh, passage, sermon, uh, uh, as we talk about sharing Jesus with others. Um, and, and what you just need to know is the reason why we want to share Jesus with others is because Jesus is our greatest treasure. Uh, he is our greatest hope. He is our greatest refuge. He is our strength. He is our delight. He's the greatest, and we want you to enjoy the greatest as well. And so you'll hear a little bit about that in the passage today. But in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, Paul, Paul gives us a, glory, a glorious example of how we as Christians who are entrusted with the gospel to share the gospel with others. So let's look, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses one through eight. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for giving us the treasure of Christ, the treasure of the gospel, to rest in, to rejoice in, and to share with others. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, You'll have to forgive me, I'm a little bit, I'm like coming off of sickness, so if I'm a little off, that's that's why, but... um, Every year over the past few years, we have a campaign at Jacobswell Church this past year. We had the Children's Catechism Campaign in which the kids were bearing the truths of God deep in their hearts and parents were as well. The year before that, we had the Matthew Meals Campaign where we welcomed people into our houses with the love of Jesus and that was very fruitful as well. Well, this year we have another campaign that we're gonna bring before you and typically we do it at the annual meeting but this passage is so fitting for this campaign that I wanted to share with you just a little bit of it right now so you can be thinking and praying about how you want to participate in that campaign. But the name of the campaign for this year for Jacobsville Church is the Everyone Pursue One campaign, the E1P1 campaign. And what's exciting about this for me is this is not just for adults, this is for teenagers and for junior hires and for children. And basically the concept is very easy. We'll give you a lot more details and resources later, so don't get super scared. But, but basically it's we want you to go before the Lord and ask the Lord, who is one person that you want me to share the good news of Jesus with this year? And then we want you to pray for that person day after day after day, and pursue that person with the good news of Jesus. It may be a brother or a sister, a mother, a father, son or daughter, it could be a coworker, a neighbor, someone that, that God puts on your heart to share the good news of Jesus with. And it could be one person, it could be three persons, but at least one person that you want to share Jesus with. And so as you hear this, I'm curious, Christian, who comes to mind for you? Maybe you have to think and pray about it more, but as I thought and pray about it, it's like, oh man, how do I narrow it down, right? Who is it that you wanna share Jesus with this year? And and as as we go through the passage today, I want you to keep that person or people in mind because Paul's going to show us in this passage how we are to share the gospel, okay? So first, we will see that we are to share the gospel boldly. Look at verse two with me again, if you would. He says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that are coming to you was not in vain. In other words, it wasn't empty, it wasn't without results, like the power of the gospel came in them, they came to faith in Christ, they started a church, it was very fruitful in the proclamation. Verse two, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And so Paul is reminding them that before they came to Thessalonica, they went to Philippi, and there they endured much suffering and shame. And so I actually want to turn there with you. If you could just keep your finger in 1 Thessalonians and flip to Acts chapter 16. Uh, If you're in the Red Bible, it is page 925. But flip to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be there for a few verses, so uh, make sure you do that. Um, While you turn there, I'll just put the map up again to remind you a little bit of where we've been. So Paul, again, was in Tros on the second missionary journey, and Silas and Timothy, and I think Luke was a part of this as well. And while he was there, uh, he gets a vision of a man calling him to come to Macedonia, this region. And so he goes to Philippi, which we'll read in this passage, and then ends up moving on to Thessalonica. So again, Acts chapter 16, page 925, we'll look at verses 16 through 24 because this context is so important to us understanding what Paul's saying in First Thessalonians. So Acts 16, verse 16, Paul says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Now we know by the Greek word used for girl that it, this was probably a girl between 10 and 14 years of age, a junior high girl in our society, okay? And she was probably sold into slavery by her parents for whatever reasons, and she had become possessed by demons that gave her the ability to divinate or to tell people's futures. And so her, her owners were exploiting this for their own profit. A very sad and oppressive situation. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What's really interesting in the gospels, it's always the demons who know who Jesus is. They know his true identity. They cry it out. And evidently they also know who His messengers are. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Praise God, celebration, this girl has been healed. She has been freed from the demon. But that's not how everyone saw it. Verse 19, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. In other words, they've taken away our profit from this demon-possessed girl. Verse 21, they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. Again, this isn't true. They're slandered, they're falsely accused. If you've ever been falsely accused, you know that is difficult. Verse 22, The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore their garments off them, stripped them naked to embarrass them, and gave orders to beat them with rods, like billy clubs, like beat them down, right? If if someone did this to a dog today, they'd be put in prison. These are God's missionaries. Verse 23, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them Safely, predator translated securely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy come to this jailer, bloodied, probably bones broken, face smashed in, bruises everywhere. And the jailer doesn't, you know, like, you know, touch up their wounds or anything like that. He puts them into the inner prison, which is the worst part of the prison, deep within the cave, if it was a cave, where kind of all the sewage flows and there is the least daylight and it is the smellies. He puts them in there and he puts them in stocks. And these stocks were not just handcuffs, they were torture devices to stretch the body in ways that it was not supposed to be stretched. And so we see that indeed Paul and Silas and Timothy went through great affliction and shame and pain and suffering in Philippi. Now let me ask you, if you were in their shoes and you got out of that prison in Philippi, wouldn't you be tempted to like say, mission trip is over, right? Like I'm going home, I'm sleeping in my bed. These people are so ungrateful. They don't even want me to preach the gospel to them. I'm just going home and I'm going to enjoy it for myself. I would be tempted to do that for sure. But that's not what these men did because the good news of the gospel was too good to keep to themselves. And so they went on to Thessalonica. All right, so let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter two. Thanks for going on that excursion with me. Page 986 in the Red Bible, back to 1 Thessalonians 2. And let's look at verse two again with this context of Acts chapter 16 in our mind. It says, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, to put it lightly, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Not only did these men suffer in Philippi, but when they moved on to Thessalonica, the heat was turned on, on them as well, so much so that they had to run out of town in the middle of the night to escape with their lives, and they went on to Berea, right? But, but the question is, what, what kept these men going and going and going, preaching the gospel, even though they were being bitten, beaten, even though they were being stripped naked, even though they were being spat on and stretched out and tortured? Why did they keep going on preaching the gospel? How could they do that? How did they find this Boldness inside of them. And the answer is right there in verse 2. He says, As you know, we had boldness in our God. The boldness was not in themselves and their skills and their talents and their likability. Their likeness was in God. Their boldness, I'm sorry, their boldness was in God. Sick brain talking. Um, I actually looked up the, the definition of boldness because I was curious in the Webster, 1828 Webster Dictionary. I love kind of the older version at times. But it describes boldness this way, that it's courage, bravery, fearlessness, freedom from timidity, confidence, confident trust, excess of freedom, boarding on impudence. Did I say that right? I said it wrong in the first service. Impudence, close enough. But just like this recklessness, like, like you are so free just to, to speak your mind, to say what you want. You know, let's be honest, it is, it's scary to talk about Jesus with people. Um, I, I've heard missionaries come from overseas and say, it's harder to talk to people about Jesus in America than it is overseas many times. It's scary um, oftentimes because we're afraid that, that we will be rejected, right? We're not, we're not afraid of being stripped naked, put in the middle of Green Bay and, beaten with rods like some around the world are, threatened with, but, but we're scared because we're afraid that people will, will reject us or will, will, will fire us or other bad things might happen to us. And yet, here again, Paul gives us a secret to his boldness. The secret to his boldness is not in him. It is God in him. It is God before him. This is very similar to what we read about in Joshua. If you remember just last semester, The Lord kept saying again and again, be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God is with you. Even in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, to Jesus. Not to you, it's been given to Jesus. And then he says, go therefore make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, I am with you always, always to the end of the age. Commentator Mark Howell says this. He says, courage which is also boldness, is a missing ingredient in the lives of many Christians. Because of their fear of personal hardship, they rarely attempt anything bold or risky for Christ. Christian, do you believe Jesus is with you always till the end of the age? See, God is not only with us, he is in us through his Holy Spirit, and he gives us boldness when we step out in faith. And so if you're here today and you're bored with your Christianity, could it be because you're not doing it right? Could it be because you are simply sitting in the stands watching other people play the game? Here is the solution. Holy boldness. Boldness in our God, not in our gifts or wisdom or, or talents, but boldness in God wherever we go. So. How are we to share the gospel? First off, Paul says, with boldness, in our God, okay? The second is that we are to share the gospel purely, okay? Meaning with pure motivations, a pure heart, pure focus. You see, in the city of Thessalonica, after Paul was chased out of town, there were naysayers that had come in. It's a year later, remember, a year's a long time, and they're saying, you know, that apostle Paul or whoever he was, like, like he's just a charlatan, Uh, You know, easy come, easy go, just fly by night, right? He doesn't really care about you. He just wanted your money. He just wants you to follow him. He just wanted followers. And so Paul is addressing the naysayers, not just simply to defend himself, but more importantly, to defend his message, the gospel, because that's what they were ultimately trying to undermine. So let's look at verse three. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, or an attempt to deceive. Like he wasn't trying to trick them. He he wasn't trying to preach something unorthodox or out of line with the Old Testament scriptures. And verse four, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You know, this word entrusted is it's a heavy word. It's a big word. It means someone is, is trusting to you something that is precious to them. Can you remember a time where someone entrusted you with something? Maybe, maybe it was as simple as their dog when they went out of town to take care of their dog. Maybe someone has entrusted you with their children um, while they go on a date night or out of town. or Maybe someone has entrusted you with like, I remember my parents, they would entrust me, they would give me their nice car when it was like homecoming dance, right? One of these times, uh, when Trish and I first got married, I think <coughs> all we had was a pickup truck that cost us like 500 bucks, and uh, it wasn't that nice. And, and so on our, on our wedding day, uh, they, they let us know before, but they let, her parents let us use their nice Jeep Cherokee. And I mean, this thing was always washed. It was always clean. The carpets were always clean. I mean, this thing was, was spick and span all the time. And they were like, here, you can use our Jeep Cherokee after the wedding and after the reception and all that sort of stuff. And, and to be honest with you, I may have been more nervous about driving that car than I was about getting married that day because I'm, I'm not the cleanest person. Trish can tell you that. And so, so there's definitely no food or drinks in the car. I was watching out for potholes, going slow, all that sort of thing because they'd entrusted me with something that was very special to them, right? What we read in this passage is that that God has entrusted you with the gospel. You see, the gospel does not belong to you. In verse two and in verse eight, it says the gospel is God's. It is God's gospel. It belongs to God. You see, God the Father is the author of our gospel. God the, the Son is the accomplisher of the gospel. And God the Spirit is the applier of the gospel to our hearts and to our lives. And so it is God's gospel, but He has entrusted it to you and to me, Christian. He has entrusted the good news of how sinners. Can escape hell and inherit heaven. He has entrusted to us how image bearers may be reconciled to their Creator. He's entrusted to us how dead people can be made alive. We've been entrusted with the gospel to cherish it, to delight in it, to rest in it, but also to share it generously and liberally with others. And so Paul says we have been approved by God, entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. Paul's saying, We know that the same God who has entrusted us with the gospel will hold us accountable to how we have used this gospel. We are not going to exploit it for our own personal gain. Verse 5, he continues, says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And then he points to God again God is our witness, he will hold us accountable. Verse six, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I think in this context, when he says apostles of Christ, he's simply saying, as the messengers of Christ, we could have made demands of you to house us, to feed us, to give us money on our trip as we go out to the next town, but we did not do any of those things. It's the same with missionaries today. They go to offer the gospel free of charge, and not ask anything in return. We're called to share the gospel with a pure heart, pure motivations, not for selfish gain, because it has been entrusted to us by God. Now, you may be here, and you may be saying, I don't even understand how that would work. Like, I don't think, Pastor Dan, like, if I share the gospel with people at work, they're not gonna start giving me money. Like, this is not not even a temptation to me, right? But the reality is, is I think sometimes we can see our our impure motivations by why we don't share the gospel. You see, why do we not share the gospel? It's because we are so thirsty for the approval and glory of man. We want people to be our friend. We don't want to to jeopardize relationship. We wanna be liked. We wanna be loved. We wanna be affirmed. And we seek that in men instead of from God. And yet here's the thing. The Apostle Paul says it here, he was soaking. He was soaking in the approval and the glory of God. And because he had all he needed in the approval and glory of God, he did not need the approval and glory of men. And because he did not need the approval and glory of men, he could go and share the gospel boldly, completely fine if they rejected it. I mean, he's gonna be sad, but he has the approval and glory of God. He doesn't need it from men. You know, my hope this year at Jacobsville Church is that we would soak more and more and more in the approval and glory of God for us through Christ, that we might be freed and liberated from obsessing and thirsting for the approval of others, that we might actually love them and share the good news of Jesus with them. So how are we to share the gospel? We share it boldly, right? That's kind of the only way you can share it, but we share it boldly in God who empowers us. We're to share it purely because we know that God will hold us accountable and he has entrusted it with us. Finally, we are to share the gospel affectionately. Look at verse seven with me. Let me get a drink of water real quick. Verse seven, he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. I love that this verse is here. Paul was just saying, hey, we came to you in boldness, right? And I think there is a big mistake amongst Christians that thinks boldness means brashness, right? But, but here Paul makes it very clear. Boldness does not mean brashness. There is no more tender picture that Paul could give to us of, of a nurturer, a lover, someone, someone who is gentle than a nursing mother with her child Boldness does not mean brashness. Boldness means persistence. Gentle, affectionate, persistence, despite affliction, despite suffering or pain, it is persistence in sharing Christ with others. Verse eight, he continues. He says, so being affectionately desirous of you, longing, loving you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, because you had become Very dear to us. You know, it has been said of this passage, this wonderful passage, that that here more than anywhere else in the writings of Paul in the New Testament, we see his heart for the lost. We see here that Paul Paul and Silas and Timothy loved people who did not love Jesus. Or they loved people who did not yet love Jesus. They loved people. You know, the same was said of, of Jesus, right? Like, like he was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. He loved people, not from a distance, but he was ready to share his life with them, to do life with them. This is what we do with people we love. When we marry with them, we do life with them, right? This is how we love people. We do life with them. For Paul, the Thessalonians were not just a project. They weren't just a number, not just a notch on his belt. Paul cherish them just as God had cherished Paul and just as God cherishes you and me. You know, so many times when we want to bring the good news of the love of Jesus to people, the first thing they will do is experience the love of Christ from a Christian. I know this was my own experience. When I was in high school, was around all these people who were always like, you know, knocking each other down and like picking on each other. And then there was this strange, peculiar group of people who, who loved one another and built each other up and encouraged one another. And as I came into it, they loved me. They welcomed me. They encouraged me. And I'm like, this is great. What is this? And it was Christianity. And, and, and through that, it opened, it warmed my heart to the love of Christ. Their, their love didn't Their love didn't share the gospel. We have to use words for that, but but it warmed my heart and opened me to the good news of the gospel of Christ. Christians, do you love and ache and long for your non-Christian friends and coworkers and neighbors? Do you love them enough to, to befriend them, to invite them into your home, to do life with them? Do you love them enough to sit next to them at your kids' sporting events? Do you love them enough to welcome them on a Sunday morning or, or, or invite them to a Sunday morning? Do you love them enough to share Jesus with them? Let me end with this. In our community group this past week, um, there was a question, and, <laughs> man, it's a big, heavy question. And You might have already encountered it in your community group. You might encounter it tonight. But the question was, was basically this. It was, it was, can you say you really love someone if you're not willing to share the gospel with them, right? Can you say, I love you, but I'm not gonna share the gospel with you. Can you say that genuinely, okay? And, and I know it's a big and heavy question. Um, and I wanna answer that question from a surprising source, okay? Some of you may know of Penn Gillette. He's a part of this magical duo Pen and Teller. And uh, if you saw a picture of him, probably just big guy, big black hair, circular glasses, and in Wikipedia, it describes him this way. It says, Penn Frazier Gillette, born March 5th, 1955, is an American magician, juggler, comedian, musician, on and on and on. And then it says this. This is his description on Wikipedia. He is also known for his advocacy of atheism. He's a very intelligent guy, huge atheist, loves to debate it and discuss it and argue for it. Well, in one of his video blogs, he tells the story of how after one of his shows, a man comes up to him and is just like encouraging him about the show and how great it was. And then the man very respectfully gives him a Bible. And in the video blog, after this encounter, Penn, who is this staunch atheist, says this. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect it at all. He says, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward? And then he says this, which I'll never forget, I think it's on screen, he says this, how much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? This is an atheist. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And then he wraps it by saying, this guy was a really good guy, he was polite and honest and sane, like a nursing mother. And he says, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible. Followers of Jesus. If we believe that we are sinners, if we believe that we stand condemned for our sin before a holy God, if we believe that God loves us so much that he sent his sin, Jesus, into the world to rescue us, if we believe that Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross to die for our sin and take our punishment upon himself, if we believe that Jesus rose from the dead to give us newness of life, if we believe Jesus ascended into heaven and is ruling and reigning, if we believe that he is coming again to make all things new, to bring in a new heavens and a new earth, if we believe all of this is true, how much must we hate people to share it with no one? How much must we hate our family members to be indifferent towards their eternal destiny? How much must we hate our friends to not tell them the only name by which anyone can be saved? Friends, this is is not just a challenge from the Bible. It's not just a challenge from the Apostle Paul. It's not just a challenge from your pastor. This is a challenge from an atheist. From an atheist in the year 2024, Christian, let us pursue others with the good news of the gospel that we have been entrusted with. We must share it boldly in our God. We must share it purely before God because He has entrusted it to us. And we must share it affectionately, loving, like our God has loved us. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for this passage that maybe. Wakes us from our slumber, from our complacency to a glorious life of pursuing souls for you, God. Lord, thank you for entrusting us with something so precious. May we cherish it and may we share it as you guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.